So I need, I need a helper. I'm looking for Dion. Neon Dion. Come on down. Dion's going to help me. He's been practicing his Greek. So we're going to come over here. Dion's a very good reader. Thalo no noreso ton cresto. Thank you for coming again to relieve the monotony of this poor old prisoner, Maranatha. Perhaps you've been wondering if you've heard anything about my story at all, how I ended up wandering and traveling all the different places I did. Well, I think it's an interesting story. Let me tell you a part of it. After my conversion, after Jesus called to me, knocked me to my feet, took my sight away for a few days, after I finally realized that Jesus was God, the one I was trying to serve, well, I began to tell the good news everywhere I could. I told everyone I saw, every, all over Damascus, I preached the good news that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. Uh, and I met with mixed results. There were many folks who believed the message and came to become followers of Jesus, but there are others that were not pleased, especially the Jews in Damascus, and they began to plot against me, and I had to run for my life. It's not easy to get out of a city in broad daylight if people are looking for you. And so the brothers came up with a plan to put me in a basket, put me through a hole in the wall, a, in a home that was built against the wall and lower me by rope in a basket in the night so I could get out of town without being killed. And when I had the chance, I ran as fast as I could run. I ran straight to, well, where would anyone run? Home, back to Tarsus, to my town, which was north and west of where I was. And while I was there, I continued to do what I had been doing in Damascus. I preached the good news of Jesus Christ. I, I told people of my experience, and, and they knew me in my, whole in my hometown, so they, they knew who I had been, and they knew who I now was, and they recognized that everything was changed after that. After being in Tarsus for a little while, uh, one of the believers named Barnabas called me and invited me to join him in Antioch to continue to teach. Now, Antioch is a city that was to the east and south of Tarsus, and there was a growing body of believers there, and Barnabas thought I could be of some assistance to the believers that are there. So I went at his invitation, and while we were there, one day when we were praying, it came to one of the believers a prophecy that there was going to be a famine in the land, and we felt like we should do something about that. And so Barnabas and I began to collect an offering because we knew a famine would hit people in the city worst of all. And so for about a year, we gathered offerings from the believers in that region, and then eventually we went down to Jerusalem. We delivered the offering to the elders there for the distribution to the poor in Jerusalem. After we had accomplished that and actually spoken with some of the leaders, uh, we traveled back to Antioch. Again, while we were praying at one of our gatherings, it seemed good to the people who were gathered there, to the Holy Spirit and to Barnabas and me, that, that we be set aside for a particular mission. And so having heard that in prayer, the brothers gathered around Barnabas and me, put their hands on us and commissioned us to do the work that the Holy Spirit was leading us into 
which was to continue to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And so having been commissioned by the brothers, we moved. We moved down to Seleucia, which is a a town on the coast of the Great Sea, and then we sailed from there to the island of Crete, excuse me, to the island of Cyprus. You know, you get older and you lose the place names in your mind. It's hard to keep them in order. We sailed to Cyprus and we landed on the the city of Salamis. That's more of a town, a village, and it was on the eastern end of 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 the island. Beautiful island, Cyprus, and we we evangelized our way right across the entire island. John Mark was with us, it was a very profitable time. By the time we got to the other side of Cyprus, to the community of Paphros, we encountered something unusual that we hadn't really run into before. There was a Jewish magician there named Bar-Jesus, and he was very influential. People saw him do things they couldn't explain, and so they just, follow whatever he said, and he was a friend of the Roman proconsul in the area, and that man's name was Sergius Paulus. And so when we got to town, having already transgressed, or not transported ourselves across all the island, uh, the proconsul wanted to talk to us. So we got invited in to the Roman proconsul to speak, and Bar-Jesus the magician was there. And we began to tell the proconsul about the grace of God and the story and message of the cross and and all of those things, but it became very apparent to the magician that if the proconsul accepted Christ, he would lose his influence in the town. And so he began to violently oppose us. He he shouted, he he tried to discount our story, he said that this wasn't a part of the the Jewish story at all, And, and well, that frustrated us. And we could tell that this was causing doubt in the proconsul's mind. And moved by the Holy Spirit, well, is it okay to say that I got a little aggressive? Um, I'm not usually this aggressive, well, I said, you son of the devil, you enemy of righteousness, how dare you contradict the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ? And now because you have done so, the Lord will remove your sight for a period of time to prove that you do not know what you're talking about. And a mist coalesced around his eyes and he could not see any longer. And when the proconsul saw that, He was immediately convinced. He gave his heart to Christ. And the ministry of the gospel in that town expanded like it never had before. Seeing the success there, we realized by the leading of the Spirit it was time to move forward. And so we made the decision to sail north across the sea to the town of Perga. But but John Mark, it seemed, wasn't quite cut out for this ministry, and he left us. He sailed back to Antioch, and we continued without him. We got established in Perga, preached a little bit there, and then felt like we really needed to move north to Antioch. Now, don't get confused here. There are two different Antiochs. The Antioch that commissioned us for the ministry was in Syria. But north of Perga, in the region of Pisidia, is a second Antioch. And it's there that we went and began to preach the gospel again.
When we got to the uh, city of Antioch, we went to the synagogue, as we typically did when we first arrived in a town. And on the Sabbath day, after the prayers had been offered and after the officials had read the law and the prophets, the actual officials of the synagogue said to us, do you have some greeting to bring or is there any exhortation or encouragement you'd like to bring to the crowd? Well, you don't have to ask a missionary to talk twice. And so I was prepared for exactly that kind of invitation. And I started with the history of the Jews. And I told them exactly, well, I interpreted their history for them. I said, remember how God grew us into a nation in Egypt and then delivered us from Egypt. And then after we crossed the Red Sea, he delivered us in the wilderness again. He was patient with us. He was kind to us. After we had he had finally given us a land, which he did in a miraculous way. We took possession of it, and we began to continue to grow and to thrive, and eventually in time, God gave us judges. And after that, God gave us kings. And one of the kings that he gave us was King David. And it was through the line of David that our scriptures, our God, promised that there would be a Messiah, a Savior to come, and God was going to keep that promise through the line of David. Before that Messiah came, he sent us John the baptizer. And John was the voice crying in the wilderness saying, there's one coming who is so much greater than I am that I'm not worthy to even untie his sandals. And then the Holy One came. Jesus, born of Mary, came and spoke taught us, gave his life for us, but, but we Jews, we didn't recognize him when he came. The officials in Jerusalem didn't know the scriptures well enough to recognize God's Messiah when he came. And so they asked Pilate to crucify him, and it was done. And his body was taken down from the tree, he was laid in a tomb, but that was not the end of the story. God raised Jesus from the dead, and he appeared to many people in Jerusalem after that to verify the fact that he was alive, that he was stronger than death. And what God promised, God delivered. He said in the, through the prophets that he would not allow his Holy One to see decay. And Jesus did not see decay. Only in the tomb three days he was raised to life, and he lives forever. And now through him we have forgiveness of sins. Everyone who calls on the name of Jesus Christ will be saved. And we will be free in a way that the law of Moses could never make us free. Because whom Christ sets free is free indeed. Well, the whole room was ecstatic at our news. They had questions and they wanted to hear more. And they invited us to come back the next Sabbath day to continue speaking about this gospel, this good news of the coming of Christ and what it means for all of us. The next Sabbath we gathered. The whole town was present. Standing room only in the synagogue. But the Jews saw the size of the crowd. And they began to get jealous. And so they began to contradict our words and, and stir up the crowd against us. And, and it got to be very difficult very, very quickly. I was conflicted. 
I was passionate that my people should hear the good news of Jesus Christ, but I also knew what I had been commissioned to do. And so I said to the Jews that day in the synagogue, the gospel had to be preached to you first, but if you reject it, then we will proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles, because this is how the Holy Spirit has led us. The Jews continued to incite the crowd, and we had to flee. We had to leave, or we knew we would be killed. And so we traveled slightly east to Iconium. And in the town of Iconium, a similar thing happened again. We went to the synagogue. We preached there first because we, we felt like the Jews needed to know the message. But then, again, the crowd was stirred up against us. And uh, one day when I was preaching, a mob just gathered around us, hurling insults and invectives. They actually grabbed me, dragged me out of town, stoned me, and left me for dead on the road. It was, it was terrifying, but I knew God was with me. I knew that he had sent me. I knew that the brothers had commissioned me and that I was doing exactly what I had been called to do. And I knew what my Lord and Savior had suffered and I just counted it a privilege to suffer for his name. When the brothers found me and gathered around me in the road, I was well enough to stand up. I guess the crowd did a pretty poor job of stoning that particular day. But I couldn't stay around there. I knew what their intentions were. And so once again, I left. Taking Barnabas with me, we moved to the towns of Lystra and Derby, which were a little further south. When we got to Lystra and began to proclaim the gospel there, we ran into a gentleman who had been crippled from birth. He was lame. And the Holy Spirit revealed to me that he had faith for healing, that he believed in Jesus Christ. And so we talked with him, and I said, rise, be healed in the name of Jesus. And he just jumped to his feet, just like that. Everyone was amazed but it caused a little bit of a problem for us because the Greeks in that town began to shout, the gods have come down from heaven and are among us. And they thought that Barnabas and I were gods. Barnabas, they thought, was Zeus. Me, they thought I was Hermes. You know, after all that walking that we did to get this far, I would have liked those little wings on my feet that Hermes was supposed to have. But I was not a god, and I certainly couldn't for a moment let them think that Barnabas and I were gods, or that anything that was accomplished was done through our power, because it was not our power that accomplished anything. It was the power of God through the Holy Spirit that accomplished that healing. And so when the people tried to grab us and, and sacrifice to us, we, we said, no, no, you, you can't sacrifice to us. We are not the gods. There is one God. In the former days, before Jesus came, that God was, God saw fit to let you Greek folks do as you saw fit. But now, Jesus has come, and God is revealed in the flesh to all humanity. It is no longer sufficient to do what you did in the past. There is good news for you. Jesus Christ has come that you might have forgiveness of your sins. We weren't there very long in Lystra until opponents from Antioch and Iconium traveled behind us and followed us, stirred up by the Jews, of course. 
And so once again, we had to flee. We went on to, to Derby, preached there for some period of time. And after having some success in Derby, we recognize that we've had to move quickly. We had to leave quickly from quite a few towns. And in all of those towns, there were groups of believers who were attempting to live for Christ, but really needed encouragement, really needed direction, really needed support. And so the Holy Spirit moved us after we reached Derby to return to all the cities that we had visited before, not quite so publicly, this time, and meet with the fellowships. And in each town, we appointed elders to take care of the flock that was there. And we encouraged them to stay true to the gospel of Christ and to endure persecution and to be strong and trust and have confidence that the promise of God were fulfilled in Christ. We sailed back to Antioch in time. We stopped at Italia on the way, spoke there just briefly. And once we got back to Antioch, we continued to preach the gospel and work in that city. But while we were there, I thought about the difference between preaching to the Jews and preaching to the Greeks. When we were in the synagogue preaching to the Jews, we would be making the argument that Jesus was the Messiah. And we'd be using the scriptures, the prophecies, to prove that Jesus was the fulfillment of God's promise to humanity. But when we began to speak to the Greeks and to the Gentiles, we recognized they didn't have a common accepted scripture. They weren't looking for a Messiah. There was no point trying to convince the Greeks that Jesus was Messiah because they're going like, Messiah what? They don't care that there's a Messiah coming. But they are, even if they're not looking for a Messiah, they're searching for God. And so in those towns, we had to rely on the Holy Spirit to, to give us words, to give us an approach, to, to help us figure out how to start a conversation so that we could talk about who Jesus is. If you know anything about the Greek gods, you know they are a fickle bunch. They have to be appeased all the time. They are often immoral and selfish. Even some of the Greek philosophers themselves criticize their own gods because of their god's behavior. Often the goal of Greek religion was to keep the gods happy and avoid being noticed because you don't know what kind of havoc the gods might play in your life. Sacrifices had to be continually made to appease this Greek pantheon of gods or sacrifices to get what you want, or to keep you from suffering something. It's interesting. You sacrifice to the Greek gods to get what you want. But when you talk about Jesus, God sacrifices for us. Everything's turned around. God loves us. The idea that God would be the one sacrificing so that we can have forgiveness of our sins, that idea caught attention. God loves us. God wants us in his family. God sacrifices so that we can have freedom from our past, 
so that we can be accepted into his family. And all of this grace to us, this gift of new life, this gift of forgiveness, all of this is completely free. Nothing we can do to earn it. Nothing we've done to deserve it. No position we have attained to make us seem worthy to receive the gift of God. All we have to do is accept it. This is all new to the Greeks. I'm sure you know the story. It fills my heart with joy to remember again the free gift of God through Christ. I guess it especially fills my heart with joy because I remember who I was. I persecuted Jesus. I was an enemy of the cross. But graciously, kindly, Jesus called my name, forgave me, filled me with his spirit, changed everything about my life, and sent me on a mission to his glory. Knowing I've received the gracious free gift of God gives me joy every single day I live. And I pray you all know the same joy. Maranatha.